0: as one of draven's favorites sting would say it's showtime folks that's right <laughs> by the way we're 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 going to be talking 1989 pro wrestling right. february specifically but just quick thoughts because Sting is a big part of uh, WCW or NWA 1989, and now here we mm-hmm. he are in 2024, and this dude is about to have his last match in a couple weeks.
1: He's made of iron, man. I mean, look at him; he's still moving like he's 30 years old. And I'm pretty sure the limited house show schedule or lack thereof of house shows sh- schedule um, helps him out. But you know, at 64 ish, I mean, he's still doing some crazy insane shit out there every time he goes out there to wrestle so
0: i don't know know why he does half of the stuff that he does because he absolutely does not need to do it
1: he looks in that mirror he's like gotta keep up with these guys you know (laughs) (laughs) i guess so and he's he's also been very lucky
0: as well well i mean what a turnaround right like the sting that we would have known in the late 90s is probably headed in in a little bit of the wrong direction. and and the guy turns his life around and he it adds twenty years, twenty five years to his career with with the changes that he made. It's pretty amazing if you think about it,
1: yeah. I mean, we I mean, he had a rep for being lazy. I don't know if you remember that. oh, yeah, um especially when he was Krusty. Um, you know, I think one one of the criticisms that he got was that he showed up out of shape at that star ninety seven. And, you know, that's when uh, Hulk Hogan told Nick Patrick, go ahead and slow count him for showing up, for showing up fat, essentially, you know. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, no, no, it, it, it is a big turnaround. And, and I, um, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, he just owed it to himself to just, you know, prove something to himself, right, that he could still go. Yeah. Um, again, he is, he, I mean, he's still limited. You know, he's not out there having Will Ospreay matches. Um, and, and, and his matches are very gimmicky. But for, you know, he's definitely, for for his age, is, is still just amazing to look at sometimes.
0: Yeah. The, the face paint stuff works out for him great. Uh, the, the Having the human daredevil as his tag team partner works out <laughs> as well. Yes. Like just, and I'm sure, that, and I'm sure yeah. that has
1: something to do with, right? The, the yeah. I, I, I'm sure that Darby Allen kind of pushes
0: him to
1: go above and beyond what he's capable of just because he's out there with him. You know what is he gonna do? Put on a headlock when Darby Allen is throwing himself about twenty-five foot ladders into chairs. You know?
0: Yeah. No. So I yeah, agree. Darby Allen versus Jeff Hardy—one of the few times I've really disagreed with Dave on air about a match. Oh my gosh! On Rampage, that was like—that was that was insane. It was a stunt. It was like a stunt match of let. I'm gonna show you how I can almost hurt myself, but still. Do stuff in this match and they just kept outdoing each other. I was, yeah, I, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Okay, enough about 2024. We're going back. Well,
1: no, again. I got, I got more, I got some questions to ask you about
0: 2024. All
1: right, go ahead. Um, uh, you know, tomorrow's uh, Elimination Chamber from Perth, right? Uh, no, no, it's on Saturday. Saturday, Saturday. Um, this I'm thinking, I'm
0: thinking it's this, this is, is going live right now on YouTube. It'll go in the audio feed sometime this weekend. I'm not sure exactly, but okay, yeah. so we're yeah, Elimination doing it coming up.
1: We're doing WWF 1984 house show television taping schedule. We're taping like before, and then we have to keep track of these days. Yes, yes. yes, yes. Um, so yeah, so we got the big show coming up. Um, I'm excited for it. Uh, I think the build has been pretty good. I think, um, I don't think it's been as planned out as they want to make you think it's been. You know, I think. Um, lots of but changes. Still, lots of changes along the way, right? Um, the, the CM Punk injury really threw things out of whack for that title, you know? Um, but it, it still, I mean, I, I'm, I'm intrigued and I want to see how they get there, you know? Um, originally, I thought it was going to be uh, still the Rock and Roman Reigns, but now it's looking like it's going to be a tag match on day one, and then Cody and Roman on, on night two. So is that is that the information you have?
0: That's what it sounds like, but... Is that the, the scuttlebutt, as Dusty Rhodes would say? The one thing about this entire uh, WrestleMania lead up has been how quickly they've been willing to change a, because of what you said with the CM Punk injury, but B because they misread the the scenario there and rock got booed and and you know that so they had to adjust there, which I give them credit for because they could have been stubborn, like you know, the old school mentality of wrestling says, well, no, you just put the biggest match out there. And to them, they go, Well, that may not be the best case scenario for us because the fan base is denying uh, the, the story to be finished. They're just telling they're telling us right now that they are now. If you do it, you know never happens is not as big as it could have been then maybe you don't listen to the immediate reaction the next time but they they chose to and you know this is uh it's triple h and it's rock and it's brian gewertz and it's nick (laughs) khan like all of everyone all of those very opinionated and smart people are involved and you know, you know how it can be sometimes when you have too many cooks in the kitchen. So we'll we, we still have some time to see how this plays out.
1: Yeah, it could have become a big mess for sure. Yeah. But but you're right, going back to how stubborn they could be. I mean, just Roman Reigns initial push, right, with with the whole Daniel Bryan thing back in 2014, you know, that that was them kind of just, you know, sticking their their feet in the sand and saying this is how it's going to be. Now they're a little more open-minded. I mean, we are seeing a change with uh I guess you would call it the Triple H era. You know, of him being the head of creative. I mean, even everything from production um, to just what he accepts, right? Working with different companies, you know, um, as long as I feel like as long as he gets to keep his foot on their head, he'll work with any other company. You know what I'm saying? So like TNA, for example.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, let's get back to 1989. Uh, We are in the build to WrestleMania five with the big Savage and Hogan match. And we're going to get to the main event, the Friday night main event that they have. We're going to get to that in a second. We're also going to get what? to Chi-Town Rumble, Ric Flair, mm-hmm. and Ricky Steamboat. The 35th anniversary of that match just happened. A very historic match. And uh, But what I want to start with first is something that we ended the last episode with, which is the Vince McMahon... Ted Turner feud does not start because of the Monday Night War it starts no. right now and the i think the you know because pro wrestling well pro wrestling itself if you're considering WWF at this time is it, still very popular the NWA side of things is more like the hardcore fans it's it's a little bit kind of like WWE and AEW today uh and Vince McMahon and Ted Turner are having this battle for uh, pay-per-view, pay-per-view dates and pay-per-view attention and household clearances and all of this. And I want to open, because this is a story that I did not know a lot about until I dug in to the 89 Observers. Dave himself, not that he gets bad information, but he believes that There's a possibility that Ted Turner is going to get a ton of clearances for a head-to-head show that goes up against WrestleMania. And that the cable companies, because they're pissed off at Vince, are actually going to not clear homes for Vince. And if you think about this with our mindset and our understanding of history, it sounds like hogwash, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it absolutely turns out to be hogwash. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to read from uh, Dave's reporting. So this is uh, this is in February. He writes that I'm told by someone with very familiar who's very familiar with pay-per-view clearances and is unaffiliated with NWA or WWF that if Ted Turner has locked up viewers choice, which was the main pay-per-view company request and Viacom that McMahon's potential clearances for WrestleMania five would have to be less than 2 million. And you're talking about only two years since WrestleMania three, which was like a giant success mm-hmm. in pay-per-view. And so then he goes on and, and says, you know, what they could do, uh, what Vince could try and put WrestleMania five on NBC and, and run it free and and use that to combat Ted Turner. What actually happens is that, The NWA wants to counter WrestleMania with a pay-per-view called WrestleWar 89, The Mm -hmm. Ultimate Gamble. Have you had you heard this story before you reread these? That was
1: the first time, and again, it's just uh I would say a rare misfire by old Uncle Dave during especially during this time, you know, where, where he's so connected. Um, but even even just thinking about it logically at that time. Um Vince had so much equity with these cable companies, right? So um I think there was this perception that Ted because he he came from that television background, right? Um and, and so he was the he he had all these connections. Um and it it turned out that that wasn't the case at all. They still ran the clash though against WrestleMania 5.
0: Yes, they 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 do end up doing that. And so the reporting it turns out That Dave basically says, okay, these cable companies were using good old Teddy Turner (laughs) for leverage against Vince because what Vince wanted was Vince wanted a bigger cut of the actual pay-per-view money. I I don't remember Did
1: did, did you ever hear those ridiculous numbers even during the attitude era? Like it was something like the like WWE and WCW ECW. They were getting like forty cents on the dollar, some like ridiculous number, right? Yeah, because because these cable companies hadn't by the balls during that time. Because where else are you going to show your product?
0: Yes, and and that's a big reason why they went into the WWE network, because mm-hmm. they, you know they're like, why should we? Why should the cable companies get a piece of our business? Why shouldn't we get all of our business? And, and I think that's what it was. It was like 45 to the companies and 55 to the, you know, 45 to, to the wrestling companies and like 55 to the cable companies. And I think what Vince was was trying to do is he was trying to flip that to like a, a crazier degree on the other side, like 75, 25 or 80, 20 or something like that. And so he had these demands and the and the, the way that the cable companies were trying to out leverage him was to say, oh, well, what we're actually going to do is we're going to have Ted run against you and we're only going to show Ted's show. So your show's not going to be shown at all. And so when they all kind of come down from, you know, their their crazy demands. Yeah. NWA, they're, they're NWA, NWA <laughs> is actually used at a pawn, as a pawn so that Vince agrees to the current deal a- as they have it. Because... You know, for Vince, you know, forty five percent of six hundred thousand buys or whatever they end up doing for the show. And remember, because he, this is a giant angle for him. He, this is not uh, uh, Bret Hart and and Bob Backlund and then Shawn Michaels and <laughs> Kevin Nash, right? This is right. The mega powers. This is what they've been building. This is them being on NBC. And I mean, I mean, before
1: angle. before the bloodline angle, which which drew a lot of comparisons to the mega powers explode just because of the longevity and the week to week storytelling aspect of it. Um, yeah, it, it was the mega powers angle for almost 30 years, right? That was kind of the one that everybody remembers as that soap opera style kind of storytelling. I mean, we in the editor era, it wasn't really like that. You know, you had so many different dynamics changing weekly that that it wasn't this one linear story that was being told. Um, So, yeah. So, no, the, the Hogan Savage, Elizabeth angle was and is one of the most legendary angles in the history of wrestling.
0: Yes, it is. And it is, you know, they're using Vince, Vince's great angle against him, saying like, yeah, we're just we can sabotage you if we want. We're the ones with the power and he has to come down from that and and uh not and, you know, go away from his demands. Okay, so... Well, the... well,
1: essentially, essentially, it's a game of chicken, and everybody's scared. You know, Teddy Turner's scared, Vince's scared, and the cable com- cable companies are scared. And it's all about who's going to move first, and, you know, for better or worse, Vince was the one that moved first, and they were like, okay, this is the deal that we have.
0: Now, here's another part of this story that I did not know until I reread these observers. On February the 3rd, Vince gives Ted a call. <laughs> and, That's right, <laughs> and he wants to make peace with this wrestling war, and he wants and, uh, to stop the rating of the talent. And, and this is not the, the the classic. You're you're in the
1: wrestling business. I'm in <laughs> no. the entertainment business. That was when Teddy called Vince. Yes, Th- this was
0: Vince calling Teddy now, and, and, and yeah, go ahead. Well, again, like. The what, what the narrative has been about Vince and Ted, it's it's 1995. Like that's the narrative of it's almost like they didn't know each other. But as we know, uh Black Saturday, this yes. time frame. So they they very much are aware they had a history
1: already for yes. sure.
0: So the reason, and so this is Dave's report. This is more Dave's analysis. So Dave believes. A Vince is in the lead and he's and he's in a in a big lead. But B this is not this is less about Ted rating his talent it is about keeping the salaries low. Mm-hmm. If, if you think about how wrestling works today like you know we look at the the numbers for what WWE makes in revenue we look at what they spend in talent it is such a small percentage of very low of very low yeah like, you think of, uh, you know, big-time team sports, it's like 50% goes to the players and 50% goes to the the ownerships. Not the Dodgers, but I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here, you know, in wrestling, it's probably like 10% to 90% for WWE. And I'm sure AEW is a much, much a bigger pie to the wrestlers just because, you know, Tony Khan... Uh, has that money to just kind of throw around, uh, but yeah, like so, it's 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 not, it hasn't changed really that much. Like, you know, WWE, and th- this is a, uh, you know, to bring it back to current time frame, uh, Dave and I were talking to a guy by the name of Tim Marchman from Vice, and he's doing mm-hmm. a lot of reporting on uh, Ashley Massaro, Janelle Grant, Vince McMahon. And actually, I think Vice just got like completely wiped out today for some crazy reason. So that that company, like I think Tim's actually going to going to do something new. But he was saying how you would think like if somebody was like like if both of the companies were trying to sign somebody. So let's let's say Will Osprey. You brought you brought up Will Osprey mm-hmm. earlier. Technically, based on revenues, WWE should easily get anybody they want like money should not be an option but it's this mentality of if we sign will osprey to the highest contract we have then we gotta bump roman up then we gotta bump becky lynch up then we gotta bump randy orton up then we gotta bump and so they opt out of that so that they could mm-hmm. keep their salary structure as low as humanly possible. So it's, it's like such, so similar some 35 years later to how it was in, in 1989. I found that part fascinating.
1: Uh, The part that I found fascinating, and we all knew this is how a student of a businessman, Vince McMahon was when he was younger, because again, the reason he's trying to negotiate all this is because he's trying to see the future. You know, he's, he's two steps to three steps ahead and thinking about salary structure it has nothing to do with with cable access or clearances. It's more about yo. If if this happens, um, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna be paying up the yin yang for these wrestlers, and and so we don't want that. So he's kind of he wants to get together with Teddy to kind of explain to him how it's gonna affect both of them in a negative way, you know. Um, and and, and you're, you're right. We see that even today. I mean, the salary has improved quite a bit, a lot actually, just because I think there's a lot of pressure to do so. But it's nowhere near where it should be. Yeah, and the same thing goes for UFC. You know, those even fighters are still for
0: even worse. Yeah. than UFC. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, what happens? Which is why I find this call that he makes fascinating as well, because Vince signs JJ Dillon to join his company, mm-hmm. and why? Why do you think he was? Like, why is JJ so valuable for Vince at this point?
1: Well, I mean, JJ did have administrative experience, from what I understand. You know, he was doing a lot of administrative work with the NWA at that time. That's one of the reasons why, you know, to sidetrack a little bit, that's one of the reasons why Johnny Ace also got his job back in 2001 because he had a lot of experience in All Japan, then later on in WCW as an administrator. Um, and so JoJo had a lot of value there and it was also just, you you know, whipping his dick out, you you know, at Ted Turner. And this was a little before Jim Hurd. So just the, the office over at, at still NWA at this time. Um, and so, but I think, I think the most, the most important thing was that JJ did have that office administrative background. And so that's why he rated him.
0: And JJ also knew what all the NWA talent was making.
1: Well, that's true, yeah, (laughs) as an administrator, to connect it back.
0: Okay, here's, here's my favorite part, because it just shows you again how little wrestling has changed in 35 years. At Highland, we're all about
1: celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland. Intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.
0: And Dave is doing a guesstimate on the salary. He thinks it's one hundred and thirty-eight thousand. So I don't know why it's not one forty. But... Which in
1: nineteen, yes, the nineteen eighty-nine money, that's a lot of money.
0: That's good money in 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 uh yeah for an announcer. <laughs> and so what happens with Shivani in the NWA is he's relegated to syndication. Jim Ross has taken over as the lead guy for play-by-play. So Tony Shivani gets pushed to syndication. So he's unhappy. And he goes, no, I, I knew.
1: I knew he was unhappy when I, I turned on the television one day in, in late '88, early '89, and he he shaved off his mustache. <laughs> that, that's what I knew. Like, so to, Tony's not a happy man right now, you know, because because that's a Tony that I've always respected, the one with the mustache, you know, from the mid '80s. That was like the real sports style kind of play-by-play guy, or yeah, the play-by-play guy that we used to have. Once he rolled up with it with the clean-shaven face, I'm like, oh, something's going
0: on here. Like he signed up, he signed with the Yankees or something. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think I remember him. He's he went all the way back to like '83, right? He's like he's he's like the backstage interviewer in like Starcade '83, I believe.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He he was '83. You're you're correct. Yeah. He was an announcer for minor. I, I want to say the Baltimore Orioles. No, 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 no. He was he was the announcer. Yeah, the Baltimore Orioles minor league team, which was owned by the Crockett's. So that's where they found him. Yeah. And and then he started doing some gigs with with the Crockets and he got he got promoted up the ranks.
0: And so according to Dave, Shivani, they were grooming him to take over Vince's roles on the television, which does not really happen.
1: Well, he got SummerSlam '89 and he got the 1990 Royal Rumble. So, and those were two that eventually Vince took over. Yes. So, um, yes. I mean, the following years, you know.
0: Okay, so WrestleMania tickets. They they go on sale, Atlantic <laughs> City, back to Trump Towers. Uh they are priced at 25- I get a kick
1: out of this. When you say the prior before the same Breslau era, some of these <laughs> prices are I wish they were still like. Just put it that way. Go Wait, ahead. Give the give- twenty-five
0: fifty, a hundred, and a hundred and fifty, where the where all of the, the, the live gate is being scaled for one point eight million dollars now again we can we can bring it to to current prices the secondary market for aw revolution i think the get-in price is still fairly low like 25 bucks or something though i'm sure you know tony khan's platinum seats are thousands of dollars to sit on. yes or well they all are yeah (laughs) no matter what you want to watch wwe is going to be in san jose on monday and I took a look at the prices. I think I'm crossing my fingers that I'm gonna get the uh the hook of connect. Because okay. my, my buddy works for the ringer, and of course, you know, the Bill Simmons and, and WWE uh work together on stuff. So
1: so we're gonna so we're gonna see both our buddies, Steve. You know Steve, I know Steve, right? Let's Steve. take fame that, but <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but um, um yes, anyways,
0: <laughs> so, so the get-in price for Monday Night Raw, when I last looked, was like 150 bucks. Like this thing is selling like crazy for this random, yeah, okay. yeah, Monday Night Show.
1: I had the same thing in Anaheim. I was considering it, you know. Um, Again, I'm, you know, I'm pretty spoiled. I, if I don't get in for free, I don't go anymore. Yeah. But that, that's the that's um the crypto arena. That's where I have to connect. Uh, but I was looking at Anaheim like, you know, what if I get a decent price for Anaheim? Um, I haven't been to a live wrestling show since WrestleMania, I think. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna go for it. Secondary market, random, you know, run-of-the-mill Monday Night Raw, 160 bucks for all the way to the top. Yeah, you know, the euchre seats. Yeah, and I was like, what the fuck? I thought it was a typo. I kept on refreshing, it, but no, that they're hot right now, man. They're really hot.
0: They're really hot. They are really, you hot. know. I I mean, I I don't know if people think The Rock is going to be at these shows because he's not probably for the majority of them. But it seems like just the fact that he's kind of running around town being on on the shows has actually has really, really helped their market as far as selling tickets.
1: Yeah, it has. And I also think that had that been the case, we would have started seeing a lot of that negative feedback online. And we haven't. You know, I think I think Cody's really over. You know, I think people see pay to see Cody for sure. Um, I think Roman working, you know, more shows than he has over the last six months has also helped. So I think, I think it's a combination of, yeah, the rock is a huge thing. It's a huge deal, but also the the, the roster is over right now as well.
0: You know, I was having this conversation about today's wrestling and and live wrestling. And the one thing that you're going to get, if you go to WWE show, if, if it's a raw TV taping, like nine times out of 10, you're getting Cody, no matter what. If you're a Sami Zayn guy, more than likely you're getting Sami Zayn. You're getting Rhea. You're getting the Judgment Day. So the stars, you're getting our truth <laughs> lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, even our But the stars, you're you're going to get them. You're, you even if it's not advertised, you you have faith that you're going to see them. And then on the other side, on SmackDown side, you're going to get Owens. You're going to get uh, some of the Bloodline. Uh, On the raw side, you're going to get Jey Uso. And I think that is a problem with AEW because when you buy tickets to an AEW show a couple of months in advance, you really aren't sure who you're going to see. And you can see that a lot with this this ending, you know, the Sting run. You would think that he would be on all of these TVs heading into Mm -hmm. his last, but he's not. And some of it is... He had the, his father passing away, which is a big deal. He was supposed yeah, to be, on yeah. TV. but still, like you would think, like man, you know, he's 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 going to be done with this thing. And so, even if he shows up to the live audience and says hi, like that is a, a selling point to go to an AEW show, but they don't do it that way for whatever reason.
1: And I don't understand that. I, it's booking 101. It's promoting 101. Um, I I know that for years I, I've vented to you about my displeasure of how A.W. has ran television from the very beginning. You know, with no house show schedule, I don't see why we don't have super shows every Wednesday and Saturday. I just cannot cannot understand that why it's not all hands on deck. um, It almost seems like, you know, like T.K. has his own, like, roster split, you know, and and that's what he promotes. I know some guys work both shows, but not all the guys. And, And so it's very frustrating because I think that would help attendance a lot. You know, if two months in you're giving me a couple names, or even like a big dark match, you know, like a headline dark match, like Swerve versus Hangman as a dark match. It's like back in the '80s where you would have Hogan wrestle somebody big as a dark match for sitting through the, those four-hour marathon tapings. Same thing here. Like, give me, give me Swerve versus Hangman one-on-one, and I'm gonna go because I was promised that match two months ago. You know, but they don't, they don't do that. They'll, they'll throw a, a bunch of names. And sometimes it's the names you don't even want to see because the roster is so big, um, and that's one of the little things that's affecting attendance.
0: And yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. And sometimes, like like you said, these guys don't wrestle; they wrestle so rarely. Like, they're gone for, like, three weeks, and then you you ever see them. You're like, what happened to them? Yeah, guy?
1: you can't build momentum like that. You cannot build momentum. And you know what? What you just said right now, people are starting to catch on to that. Mm-hmm. Because you do hear online where it's like, well, if I get behind this guy, then he's going to be gone for three mo- three weeks to a month, you know? Like, Warlow, how many starts and stops has that guy had? You know what I'm saying? So, it's like, eventually you give up. And, and, and everybody just becomes a worker bee on the roster.
0: Yep. I 100% agree. Okay, the next big story here, before we get to the actual sto- the storylines and the actual matches. Uh, Dave opens a story. He opens an issue, the February 20th, 1989 issue. He opens it with this sentence. Yes, folks, there is no Santa Claus. And what he is writing about... I love young cynical Dave, bro. He pops <laughs> very no let,
1: let, me, let, let me let me take a little sideboard here all for right, a minute. Just right. a couple of things that, that make me chuckle in the <laughs> observer. First of all, he, he, he used to say so-and-so down, so-and-so. Like but it, he he wouldn't say beat, defeated. Or one, he would say so and so down. And I was like, is that like an old carney term that nobody uses anymore? Maybe that's from the boys. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he would use the term down to signify that somebody beats someone else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um he he calls he, he uses the term the office a lot. He doesn't call them companies or, or you know organizations like the 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 Canadian company or, or the Stampede No, yeah, it was something like that, right? The Mexican like like that's what he refers to the territories as. Yeah. To off- as offices. Anyways, I took all of that stuff. But what are you gonna I say? I
0: thought you were gonna say how he doesn't even call them WWF, he just calls them Titan all the time. Titan, I love that. I that pops me to no end. Okay, so Vince and Linda, they were trying to uh they, they had a, a new they were they're in New Jersey, they had a state senate hearing in hopes of getting pro wrestling taken away from the authority of the athletic commission because Mm -hmm. if you had an athletic commission you had to have a doctor present and then they taxed your event you would have to give Mm -hmm. them money because they were providing you services and vince and linda went to these people and they were like hey guys it's predetermined now this is what i wanted to ask you about even if it's predetermined these guys are taking bumps, right? Yes. Like, you see blood, like, uh, not, in, not really in WWF at this time, but in the NWA, there's lots of blood, there's bumps, there's uh, submission holds, and, and so, you know, just the idea that, oh, no, it's predetermined, thus no one really gets hurt, they're trying to skirt this 4% tax or whatever on the gates that they would have to provide. Which
1: is really carny, yes, it's really carny, because at the end of the day these guys still need a medical team there right it still needs to have some sort of regulation you don't want one of the boys to like drop dead from a heart attack which has happened yeah. unfortunately um and, and the fact that they want to kind of like penny pinch uh, on what's very important uh when it comes to the health of these wrestlers is it, it is what it is that's what wrestling was you know i to them it was like this is an exhibition it's theater you know, therefore, we don't need to be regulated as an athletic contest. But these guys were all, like, like drugged up to the gills and juiced up. You need somebody there to at least take their blood pressure. You know what I'm saying? Because these guys, I mean, that blood pressure was shooting sky high if you'd watch any of these promos. Um, so, yeah, no, no, I, 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 I never liked that. I, I never liked that they try to get unregulated because it, it just shows how unethical they were back then and how much they were really trying to skirt the system. And I really have the the, the wrestler's health in mind during that time.
0: Now, eventually, what happens is they have their own doctors, and they have an actual medical team. And
1: yeah, but remember, okay, let me know. But remember, for years they had that French masseuse guy. That was, <laughs> yeah. that, that was their medical team. I forget his name, but he would he would for once in a while they would say his name on TV. Um, and next time I'm watching a no show and I'll hear his name, I'm a pop, but yeah, it, it was like, they had this, this French guy that would just give these guys massages and then you're good to go. You know, it wasn't to what, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is the whole Ben Roddy Guerrero thing where they had a natural medical staff there, you know, um, back before then, if something tragic happened, they would still just call an ambulance yeah. from the local city to come and do their job, you know, but yeah, no, it, it, this didn't change for years.
0: Yeah, the I mean the original chiropractor Harley Race, right? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I just I found that story, and and the reason why they're in New Jersey is because WrestleMania Five is in New Jersey, and uh, Dave writes that uh, between the live and televised money, we're talking about a pie which could be in the twenty million dollar range. Three percent of that is six hundred thousand dollars of pure profit for titan so that's why they're interested in getting it deregulated mm-hmm. all right let's, let's talk a little bit about the nwa because we talked about this i think we talked about this at the end of the last shows the the change in the booking team mm-hmm. and they bring in someone from the older days and who had just previously been fired by by wwf a couple years prior than that george scott is
1: not george c scott which they made the joke uh, on the observer I tried to make it last time, yeah. Not George C. Scott, but George Scott.
0: Gen- he called him General Patton. Yes, because he's an actor.
1: That's right. Well, he plays that General Patton.
0: Um, so the, the booking team is George Scott, Black Jack Mulligan, G- <laughs> Gene Anderson. I but wait a minute.
1: I I talked because these guys, even in an administrative role, they keep their gimmick names, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and Paul Jones. So that is the new booking team for the uh the nwa and the road agents um are paul jones uh gene and the stooges as the boys would call them blackjack mulligan uh blackjack lanza grizzly smith is still around at this point and we know which, which is
1: interesting right because the, because as kids we always remember blackjack lanza as a wwf agent yeah somebody somebody left had a, had a little moment with the NWA, oh, no, no, no. and then comes...
0: From... This is this is my misreading. You're 100% okay. right. Hmm. Lanza, Grizzly Smith, and Tony Gurria are the WWF. Oh, agents. I was like, what? The hell? Yeah. Paul Jones, Gene Anderson, and Mulligan, who are on the booking team, but they are the road agents for the NWA. I screwed that up. Okay. And, and uh, no more David Crockett. He's history as far as being in front of the camera. And Jim Ross is going to handle the TBS shows, Using different co-hosts, including Jim Cornette, Magnum TA, and Paul E. Dangerously. Which is what
1: happens, yes.
0: Uh, Bob Cottle is doing some syndication stuff. One of my favorites. Like we mentioned, Tony Schiavone was going to do the syndication, but he decided to leave and, and to go to uh, WWF. Bob Coddle, the interesting thing about Bob Cottle is pre Town Rumble, they do maybe the worst Clash of Champions of All Time. This was a terrible, terrible Clash of the Champions show. Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. <laughs> but they basically copy uh 1983 Rick Flair and Ricky Steamboat angle for the build to Town Rumble where Ricky rips off Flair's clothes. And mm-hmm. what Dave wrote is that Bob Coddle was the announcer in 83 in the ring doing the interview, and then he's also the announcer in 89. Bob Connell was awesome. I always thought he was like, he he gave, uh, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, maybe it was his voice. He gave credibility, right? He gave, right? Credibility. Because, he gave yes. it credibility. Yeah.
1: But he was also one of those, like, you, you know how in, in our society, there's this like societal agreement where old people have license to say whatever the fuck they want? And we, <laughs> like... He was already an old guy then. He had to be like six in his 60s, right? And he's over here saying that, oh, well, Ricky Morton's sister is deaf and dumb, and we, and we send her the best wishes. Now, I know that was okay then, right? <laughs> but it, it, it's a mindfuck to hear it now. And I feel like Bob Cottle is one of those guys that even now in 2024 would still talk like that, you know? It's <laughs> just, just so weird. Because he says that a lot. And it always I always do a double take. Like, Did I just hear what I think I heard? And it's specifically Bob Cottle. But he does have that very like comforting, nurturing voice, um, very like sporty voice, right? Like like a sports anchor or whatnot. He just,
0: yeah, he felt like a professional announcer rather than a wrestling announcer necessarily. Yes. So. Right. All, all right. So so that is your NWA booking team. Uh, wh- another piece of information before we get to the Friday night main event angle. Starcade does a better buy rate than the Royal Rumble which is uh not I guess not that surprising cuz that's the NWA's big show and this is mm-hmm. uh, only the very first pay-per-view for the Royal Rumble but the Royal Rumble even you go to 92 with the Flair which is your favorite one like those buy rates for the Royal Rumble were not all that impressive especially in the, in the first several years of that show and I was and and I I guess it's because when you don't really have a main event, you don't have anything that you're selling, and the fans are like, "Well, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to buy. Am I going to buy a mystery show also why tournaments uh don't usually do very well mm-hmm. uh, on i I, yeah. I think
1: it's I think it's the world title thing I think back then the world title also had more credibility and so and so if it wasn't on a big show, you know there was no reason to buy it you know um and like you said I think. With with the early Royal Rumbles, they hadn't gotten over the the, the aspect of the mystery entrances because they really didn't have any unless somebody like like didn't show up or something. Then they'll they'll do the replacements, but it wasn't it wasn't for a pop. It was just because somebody didn't show up. Um. So so yeah so so during the early years, the Royal Rumbles weren't promoted as this can miss event. Right. It took that came, that happened later, especially when they connected the title shot to to you know the WrestleMania title shot to the winner of the Royal Rumble that's when the pirates improved but in the early years yeah it was just another show but but remember even back then you know when you're used to like that like that nickel and dime kind of house show revenue uh even even low Pirates are gonna give you millions of dollars in revenue so yeah. it was worth it
0: well and then last week I last time I played the Ric Flair interview and I when I asked him about that 92 Royal Rumble That's kind of where it sets the Rumble to a different direction is once they do that match. And then the next year, the winner of the Rumble gets the WrestleMania shot. So that they changed. They very smartly changed the trajectory of what the Royal Rumble becomes uh, after that one.
1: And it's interesting because you're correct. And also, it was very more it, it became more angle driven because the next year we had the whole giant Gonzalez thing, which was wacky. You know, and then the following year we had the whole Bret Hart uh Lex Luger thing. Mm-hmm. So it then became one big angle. Um, and then they got better at, at it as the years went on, and then that's what really captivated people to buy the show, right? Because, like, okay, what's gonna be the big angle this year in the match?
0: Today, I would say that the Royal Rumble is the second biggest show for that casual wrestling audience, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still get excited for it, that's a big deal. I think there's a couple of reasons. One of them's a little concerning. One is because that gimmick has always been protected. Mm-hmm. You've never sure. seen a Royal Rumble. Well, there was a taxi Royal Rumble during the Vince Russo era, but we, we're going to forget that one. <laughs> but you've never seen like a like a Royal Rumble on Raw take the majority of the show. Yeah. The one that scares me a little bit is, is the expectations of that show because they've also promoted this night of mystery around have, the world. They didn't have
0: that that much on this year's show, right? There wasn't right. a lot of like special surprises.
1: Correct, but notice how they never stop that either. Like they never try to make it to where they never try to lower our expectations going into the rumble. They they actually kind of feed into that by not naming any of the participants, even though it's just guys on the roster. You never get the thirty names or even like the twenty eight names. Leave a couple of them for surprises. It's always like the the four main event guys and then a bunch of like shadows all over the you know the screen or whatever. So I think that, I think that's a little dangerous. If I if I was the promoter, you don't want to build those kind of expectations because you could have a great rumble, but if you don't deliver in the mystery department with all these entrances, they're going to see it as a letdown. And and I think I think every year it's more and more about oh who's going to show up, who's going to show up, you know? Are you so, saying? I don't are, you,
0: know. are you saying you want to hear Pete Dunn tell everyone why he's going to win the Royal Rumble this year? Yes, I do. Like back <laughs> in the
1: day, you know, back in the day, you would get like five participants a week for about a month, uh-huh. you know, until so you
0: had all of them. All right, let's talk about this main event with Hogan and Savage against Big Boss. I love it. And, and Akeem. The, I found the interview to, before the match started to be fantastic. Both interviews, actually. When Mean Gene asked the uh, the twin, t- they weren't even the Twin Towers yet, I don't think, were they? No, they were they were Bossman yeah, and Hakeem. Bossman and Hakeem. When he asked them, you know, why why are you guys going to be the uh, the me- the mega powers here? Slick says, because we have three men's and they only have two men. That's right.
1: <laughs> I and, love the slick. And part. so
0: he's essentially saying that Elizabeth being a a, a woman. Uh, she she's not match up to the uh you know the acumen or the physicality or whatever even though slick's mm-hmm. not actually in the match uh, <laughs> so he considered that to be the the main reason why they're going to win and on the other end hogan himself said the reason that they're going to win this match is because of the love they have for each other and he goes the love i have for elizabeth like a sister and I was ready for macho man. <laughs> I was ready for macho man to just like pop him right there. Yes. And the the love between the macho man and myself as brothers and the love between the macho man and Elizabeth as as husband and wife it is that love that is going to take them to win the match. He didn't say that uh, it was just going to be because I am Hulk Hogan. I'm going to beat them by myself, um, which is. But he wanted to that say happened. that because Hulk,
1: Hulk, <laughs> Hogan was all, Hogan was always a heel. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of use because with all these young kids using technology to create all these old, their own narratives using old footage, somebody should do a YouTube video where they show Hogan actually being a heel <laughs> from like nineteen from the Paul angle. Which she was definitely a fucking heel. I don't care what anybody tells me. He, All the way up into check, he turned he didn't heel.
0: Pick up the phone, man. Orndorf is calling him. Yes,
1: exactly. This guy was a heel through and through throughout the 80s. And, and the only one that didn't, the only guy that was fooled by it was Gino Monsoon because according to him, he was the greatest <laughs> athlete on the face of this earth.
0: <laughs> I miss Gino, man. He was so really exaggerated. It's, it's funny you brought up the athlete thing because when Hogan. Goes to goes to the backstage where he's carrying Elizabeth and, you know, she gets hurt in this match and he's got to run back. You know, Elizabeth does the Adrian thing from Rocky too, like win, you know, no, go get go help Randy and, and powers who, them up and he starts running. I'm like, oh, my God, this dude. Embarrassing. Those legs. legs.
1: Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. One
1: of the things about this show that makes it wackier is that it was live. It was live on a Friday night. So you couldn't edit now on the network, they edit the countdown. I was waiting for that and it's not there anymore. No, it's not there. Uh, um, but they, they couldn't edit that Academy Award performance by Hogan. That's <laughs> something that's holy something that... <laughs> crap. <laughs> oh my God. Uh,
0: okay. Um, go ahead. You 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 okay. make sense of this. No, okay. So you, you mentioned the acting performance now. Let's remember this is something that we're gonna be able to cover. Uh, Later this year, which is Zeus comes along later this year and thus no holds barred comes along right later in in 89 that's gonna
1: that our brain is gonna explode gary we're not gonna be because is that is that tiny lister we've already had the discussion of the klb like the worlds you know uh, the multiverse collides here yes you know we don't know if that's from the movie tiny lister playing zeus is he mad at rip or is he mad at Hogan? (laughs) like all these things are our
0: brain are gonna explode but go ahead so we know hogan's gonna be acting in an actual movie so this is really like his demo tape to show the fans that he can actually act. And he takes Elizabeth in the back. Now she, she, so Randy gets whipped to the outside and he kind of leg lariats her across the top of her chest. That was a hell
1: of a bump. That's the best she, part of this entire thing.
0: She takes two, she, cra- she takes two crazy bumps on this show. So Hogan, <laughs> uh, he's got to pick her up and, You know, Randy's in the ring, and Randy's getting beat up, so he can't leave the match, and Hogan has to carry her to the back. And as he's carrying her to the back, and he lays her down, and he's telling the doctor, save her life.
1: Yeah, save her. Don't die. Save her. Save her. Please save
0: her.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that wrestler voice, which which makes it wackier.
0: This guy is going so over the top with no dialogue. I imagine, to Hogan... This, uh whatever it was, 60 seconds or whatever that the camera was on him and he had to come up with dialogue. It must have felt like an hour. He's yes. just repeating he, the same lines over and he over He starts negotiating over. with God after a while. <laughs> and it's like, please, God, please don't tell you, please. Don't blame Randy. It was an accident. Yes. Elizabeth, yes. he didn't mean it. So he's already healing on Randy, right?
1: Yes. As a, as a grown up, now we see that he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> like,
0: come on. So passive aggressive behavior at his best, right there. But it, but it is like the worst acting job anyone has ever done in this scenario. And later this year, he's coming out with a movie where he's the star of the movie. So didn't really give us a, a lot of hope for that movie. Okay. So what in in my rewatch, I, you know, I watched this live when I was a kid, when I was twelve years old. And mm-hmm. I'm sure I've seen it a couple different times over the years, especially with the advent of YouTube. Of course, everyone has searched in their YouTube browser the two words of jealous eyes you just want to hear that line again. <laughs> but uh, honestly, it had been a while since I rewatched this. The angle in of itself, the way that they put it together is is great. Like it's it's the culmination of what it was the all savage though.
1: As but... as, as, far, to, as far as to me, the melodrama working yeah. was savage. Oh, because absolutely. savage, savage was not acting. I don't know if somebody, maybe somebody <laughs> didn't clue in, oh but the guy was so intense, right? He was so intense. But this is what pops me. Okay, first of all, the quote-unquote hospital setting is literally just like a like a hallway where they, where they threw a couple curtains over. And <laughs> And I, I don't know if you saw it, but I think they have like merchandise. They have merch. <laughs> just, like, in, it, I don't know if it was supposed to be like doctor coats or whatever hanging, but they just have merch right there. <laughs> um, so that's already a cartoon. And but but Savage's intensity is what really takes us back to the realism. But what pops me is that Savage is saying he's jealous, but not at first, not at Elizabeth, because it, because it is the man's world in nineteen eighty nine. He's jealous because he's not the WWF champion. That popped me right there too. I, I had a real like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then uh, uh, Elizabeth takes second place. Oh yeah, you're also jealous because of Liz. You know, you're the luster. But uh, but yeah, that probably the fact that because he's not the champ, point at the belt. You know, you're jealous of that. You know, just, and also just
0: ask me for a title shot. You're not man enough to ask me for a title shot. And
1: Hogan wasn't. Hogan wasn't because. This that's how we got a title shot. Um, also another thing is that I don't know that I don't know if the technology wasn't quite there yet at that time to do the picture in picture gimmick, but we can't see the match. No. When no. When, when, <laughs> when the when the backstage melodramas happening, you know. And uh,
0: the live audience could not see what was going on in the back. I
1: see the angle, that's right. So yeah,
0: so finally Elizabeth comes to, she's like, go save Randy. And so Hogan kind of look gets that look in his eye and he runs back to the match and he jumps on the apron. Well, he
1: he not runs. We can't give him that kind of respect. He hobbles he was skips, lumber,
0: he was Lumbering, yes, yes. And so Savage you know, Savage just slaps this dude right in the face, and then he hops the rope and he goes the baby face in my eyes to see Elizabeth. So Hogan, you know, he's heartbroken. Uh, but he's not heartbroken enough to lose this match, that's for no, sure. No, he's not.
1: Cause he, he, or he or three match. months of building up the Twin Towers either, because he squashing the fuck out of them.
0: Okay, what did you think about Akeem's bump through the ropes? It, it's, it was fucked up. I mean, <laughs> pretty dangerous.
1: So, so for the people that have never seen it, so here we have a close to 500-pound man mm-hmm. just running towards the ropes at full speed. And then we've seen this before with with let's say the task of the world, right? Because they're smaller people. Yeah, I've seen t- these shit like that many times yeah. in, in videos. But but Akim's a big dude, and he somehow ends up in between the top and middle row. Yes, and he just falls backwards. But Akim is one of those guys that was also always an athlete. Like we don't give these guys any credit it's because they're big and fat. We don't give them credit for like being athletes. These guys are athletes. Yeah, he he's okay. He's fine. But it was it was pretty scary. If that would have happened to me, I would have been on workman's pound for like a year because, <laughs> like, dude, like, what the hell? Um, and just the fact that you're not ready for it, you can't brace for it, it's pretty scary,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and the, yeah, and then and then the big boss man's on the other side, and then he gets handcuffed to Slick,
0: yes, he gets handcuffed. It's <laughs> very so,
1: roadrunner ish.
0: Hoken runs to the back, and he's yelling for Randy,
1: Randy, and did they protect the Twin Towers, though, because he didn't pin him. yeah, it was just like it was just thrown out so. Oh, no, he did pin our key. Oh, That's he right. He pin, pin. Yeah, he pinned. Yeah, pin, yeah. Pin. Pin. That's right. Go so ahead. They,
0: they go to the back, and this is what everyone remembers. You know, what are you doing, Randy? And Savage is just so fired up, and he tells Hogan all of the things that he's been doing wrong. You have eyes <laughs> for my title. You have eyes for my And he takes the belt, and he wallops Hogan with the belt. Hogan flies backward, and so... This is again, you you mentioned the 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 man's world of 1989. So Elizabeth runs over to Hogan and she kind of she's just checking on him. She kind of covers him like you know just to see how he's doing. Randy Savage grabs this small woman mm-hmm. by the arm and he throws her. Now a little we, comfortable. We don't see her actually fall, but we see her. Fly, fly towards the camera and like losing balance in high heels. Like it's it's crazy. So Elizabeth
1: Hewlett, not the character Miss Elizabeth, Elizabeth Hewlett took a nasty bump to you know to give credibility to this angle. So props to her on that.
0: I mean R- Randy threw like this dude, he launched her giant man, giant athlete, play baseball, just throws her. Just it was I was like, that was the, the thing that I was like, whoa, I don't remember it being like that. And so Randy's about to plaster Hogan with this belt. And and now this is where I say, you know, go back to the, it's a man's world, 1989 in wrestling. So Elizabeth gets thrown Nick Bockwinkle and all these guys who are in the back, you would think that they would go see how Elizabeth is doing. (laughs) No three dudes go over to see how Hogan is doing because he just got plastered with this belt. And so, uh, you know, they go back and forth and they come back and, in one instance, uh, you see Beefcake, and Beefcake's like saying, Randy, what are you doing? And he kind of holds Randy from hitting Hogan again with the belt. Which, which
1: was the introduction, I believe, of Beefcake being best buds with Hogan. Because yep. before that, they kind of had their own thing going on. This was the first time, and it would be all through 89, where Beefcake is like the best buds of Hogan, you know?
0: Yes. And yeah, because Beefcake is his tag team partner in this in, in the stuff in the end of the In life,
1: really, during those early <laughs> years.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> so... Uh, you know, then you you mentioned that because this was a live show, Hogan's asking for the countdown and the Tizine and. Uh, <laughs>
1: That's right, <he's> talking Cardi. <laughs> I forgot about like why, right?
0: <laughs> yes, so. it's,
1: it's, it's like that one time in 2010 where Carlito gives a backflip to, to Chavo Guerrero, and then Chavo just says, right off on there, he's like, Mizunki flip. Like, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, even in 2010, they're still talking like that, you know?
0: Oh, my God.
1: Okay, <laughs> These so guys, they live in their own bubble, I'm telling you.
0: So here's my question. Uh, I, I, I mean, would you have you, – you were really young. Would you have would I was you eight watched would this, you watch this live?
1: No, no, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember it, but I'm, yeah, I don't know. Cause it was on network TV. Yeah. So I don't remember that. I watched it live.
0: Uh, but were you ever into Miss Elizabeth as like the pretty girl, you know, the pretty, you, you, there's, there's very few valets and wrestling and a lot of them were used for, you know, cause they were sexy and stuff. But Elizabeth was like, like she looked like, you could have seen her at the Oscars or something. Like, that's how they presented her. What did you think of Miss Elizabeth back then?
1: I mean, back then, I was I would have been eight, so not much. <laughs> but Even later on...
0: Even as, as, as you got older, like, WrestleMania yes. eight or whatever?
1: Right. As I started going up the, the rope and gym class, as Garth from Winslow would say, <laughs> um, and getting those feelings, Um that's when, yeah, okay, beautiful, beautiful lady... I always liked her accent, though. She had that Southern accent, yeah. very thick, and and she rarely cut a promo to where she was uh, talking long enough to really hear it. Mm-hmm. But once in a while, when she would get to talk, you could hear it, and I thought I thought that was very cute. Um, but she was, yeah, she was always like I, I thought she was perfect for the angle, you know, once in a life type angle. Not just not just for the Mega Powers explode, but for the Randy Savage saga, you know, that culminated in WrestleMania Seven, which is one of my favorite angles of all time. Mm-hmm. And and she was perfect. Both of them were perfect for that. They 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 caught lightning about in a bottle, and they've tried to replicate over the years. You know, they had Mark Merrill with Sable, and it's just never the same. You know, because remember
0: it was uh Cena and uh Nikki Bella and Nikki Bella. Yeah, they tried to replicate that with the with the the wedding proposal and everything.
1: (laughs) But 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 Elizabeth had an innate humility about her and an innocence, right, and and just. And she was perfect for that time, that era. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, nowadays, like everything, she would be like heavily criticized for a lot of different things. Um, but but yeah, no, right time, right place, perfect angle, and and she was perfect for it, you know.
0: I thought she was like the prettiest woman in in the entire world when I was like twelve years old. Like I was like I (laughs) could see that. I was like, I don't know if there's anybody who looks like more of the perfection of of you know the the female uh individual than elizabeth but i did ask big dave so in this time and uh, i don't uh, big dave would have been in his like late later 20s i believe
1: big dave seems like a missy hired man to me okay, if you ask. Okay. so you know where i'm <laughs> going with this
0: so <laughs> And bringing this back to Big Dave, he's in the front row of uh, Steamboat and Flair, and uh, I, yes, I saw that. And I asked my my wife, I put, I pressed pause. I was like, "Can you tell who's in the big in the front row there?" And the only thing she said is, "My God, that hair!" <laughs> yeah, that was cool.
1: I respect Dave for that hair.
0: Um, okay, so I did ask Dave, Elizabeth or Missy Hyatt, and he said, in person missy hyatt hands down was more attractive than elizabeth that was his that was his uh his rating five five stars i think okay i'm I'm glad
1: he didn't fuck up his scale with that which he has (laughs) with everything else but five stars still okay wonderful uh
0: so yeah so i mean that's the time frame right uh i would have seen missy hyatt uh wearing a pro wrestling illustrated shirt in in that time frame remember she was in those (laughs) ads for pwi i was that's right like, see, but to me, as a as a young kid, it was different. Elizabeth was like this regal, like, uh, woman. You know, going. You would, out you would. Let me just
1: put it this way: you would, you would marry Miss Elizabeth, and <laughs> we, we would ask uh, Missy Hyatt. Let's just be real about it.
0: Yeah, and, and Missy Hyatt was like the sexy blonde, buxom. Like that, the gimmicks were so different, so much so that when I met Missy Hyatt in person, finally, this would have been at. uh WrestleMania 32, Dallas. At Wally Mania? No, it was not at Wally Mania. <laughs> but it was that weekend, WrestleMania 32. you you one one of your favorites, Ed in San Antonio, was talking to Missy. And I was like, Oh man, do I really want to ruin Ed's moment here? That's you a know? big deal for Ed. And I was like, Yep, I want to ruin this moment because when am I ever <laughs> going to have another chance to, you know, to chat up, chat up with Missy. So mm-hmm. I meet her, she's very nice. And then I did a little write-up on on my website. Somehow she saw it. I don't know if I tagged her on Twitter or something. But then she wrote a comment. She was very nice. And then during the pandemic, uh, I would have uh, interviewed her w- with Dave during the um, the Me Too stuff that we were talking about. Though, okay, she did not get over with the audience very well in uh, on the from the Me Too standpoint because she was like we just wanted to be one of the boys and and all that stuff that was the mentality back then which a lot of people don't understand and in- No you you uh,
1: yeah you don't have to agree with it but you have to try to understand it. Yeah. It, it was the 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 immense pressure that these women were in I mean still to this day you know uh, you know men still are very much privileged but back then I mean there was so much pressure right to conform if you want to be in a male dominated industry um, and, and so there comes a point because of just like all this psychological preconditioning that you just kind of give up and be like, if I want to be a part of this, these are the rules that I have to play by, you know, it doesn't make you weak or ignorant. It's just that, you know, your environment kind of creates that. And yeah. so I could totally understand. Somebody told me that, like somebody like Missy Hyatt was like, I just wanted to be one of the boys, and this is what I had to do to be one of the boys.
0: Medusa, you know? very very similar. Medusa as well, and they came from a similar time frame. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so the fallout of this is uh, the rating now. It's,
1: it's sold out house shows everywhere too, by the way.
0: Well, Savage was he? I, he still wrestled babyface in some of the matches because they he was still wrestling Bad News Brown in some of these shows. So he would have to be the baby face, and then, when he and Hogan would be on the same show, they would split them, one's in the main event, the other's in the middle. And what they would do is they would have Elizabeth want to come down to be in Hogan's corner, and then Macho Man grabs her and pulls her to the back, so they show you <laughs> that he's the heel, and Hogan, you know he's you should be rooting for Hogan here uh, on yeah show. so the rating was not great. This we,
1: made me laugh. This, tell us the rating, which wasn't great.
0: 11.6 and a 19 share for Friday night main event. Now, ABC, with their normal competition of perfect strangers and full <laughs> house. <laughs> yes, those two shows popped me when I saw that. 16.7 and 17 with a 27 and a 28 share. I mean, that just tells you the difference with television, right? The only oh, thing that does that that perfect strangers rating today is the NFL or like the Oscars, like nothing you know the Grammys did, nothing The Grammys did a pretty decent number recently, but still like not even close to you know what broadcast TV was back then. um so Dave yeah. said that the main event was seen in ten point five million homes and by roughly twenty three million one hundred and eighty thousand viewers as compared to thirty three million for the year before, which was Andre. Beating Hogan with the with the twin refs. Now, Dave has come down from that that thirty three million viewer number over the years because he believes that they were counting too many people at home watching wrestling, which he believes is actually a little bit less. So, he, I think he was saying like it could probably be closer to like twenty seven rather than thirty three. which is still amazing it's when you it's think still about crazy. it. Um, and then <clears throat> and then bringing it back to today last week's smackdown and i say last week for this live show but on the uh, on the audio feed it'll be two smackdowns ago the rock showing up on smackdown with roman reigns that was the number one show on television for the whole week was smackdown. finally amazing mm-hmm. R- wrestling was the top show in broadcast which is n- ridiculous
1: i don't think that's ever happened correct this is the first ever. time
0: Never yeah happened. All right, a couple of other things before we get to this shy town.
1: Well, what? wait, you didn't tell us the rating for the for the rock uh, Roman reigns.
0: uh it was um I think I think the 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 audience actually got up to three million for the rock because
1: the reason I was waiting for a rating because I wanted to compare the expectations. It's like a point
0: from... it's like a point seven five in the demo or something like that. Like, yeah
1: seven hundred thousand. yeah, that's that's pretty good. That's great now but but if that would have been the the demo back then and right then they didn't keep track of demos. But still, comparing twenty-three million, you know, watchers to like three million, I mean, you know, and now three million is a success. It just goes to show you how how television has evolved or devolved or whatever you want to say.
0: Yes, absolutely. Cable streaming, they just kept uh, chopping up or, or slicing up the pieces of the pie, and now they're they're so small that then then you know you know not that I. So not that I, I want to say, bring but, up Bill Cosby on this show, but like the Cosby Show's doing like thirty-five million people, you know, yes, crazy number right. like that. So,
1: right, those days are gone. But even, but even like recently, like the Super Bowl is the is the most watched television show of all time, which is in the which is in twenty twenty four. Yeah, you sure. know. So I I don't know if the lesson is there is that if you build or promote something big enough, the audience is still there, you know, because the Super Bowl um still still drew that kind of audience with all these other options with with youtube as an option streaming you know all all the all these new ways that our attention spans being taken away from television the super bowl became the most watched television show or you know sports programming in the history of television so it's interesting that we had the the golden era right where where shows are doing 30 million you know the, the cheers finale 50 million and but yet the record is is in the era where people are watching television less. So I feel like there's a lesson there somewhere, you know?
0: It's It's supposedly, it's either the Super Bowl Or the moon landing, or the
1: superb owl, as me and Danny used
0: to call it, because (laughs) there's sacrifices being made at all times during that time. Danny's still trying to tell me why the the Super Bowl was actually booked out instead of, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) As the Super Bowl was happening and as my team was failing in the end, he was telling me how it was a work. Um, Yes. uh, Okay, so the Fallout, a little bit of Fallout as we head towards WrestleMania season. Uh, there's, a, there's a Rowdy Roddy Piper thing where he is, as we remember, he retires at WrestleMania 3. It's WrestleMania 5 coming up. He's back on the scene. And he re-signs with WWE or WWF after the NWA agreed to his salary demand, which was $500,000. But, and you'll love this one, David Wolf, you remember David Wolf? Oh, I love that guy. From from Cindy Lauper. Cindy
1: Lauper's husband, ex-husband now, but yeah, at the the time,
0: he—I guess he was Piper's agent, or he was Piper's confidant, or whatever it was. I don't know if there was an official relationship there, but David Wolf basically said, "Look, you're comfortable." In wwf you know what you're going to get like they're they have roles ready for you you don't have to worry about you know the change of scenery in nwa so piper resigns with vince and at wrestlemania 5 he does have a part of a long segment i of, love
1: that though because i'm a huge fan of Warren downey jr Martin
0: downey jr so i love that i love that i love that segment yeah okay yeah. but i
1: think uh, before before we go more on the next segment I do think, first of all, I was surprised to see that Roddy was in a bidding war. I didn't even know that happened.
0: No, I mean, um, but, so, at, but, right but, before this time, what he's doing is he's showing up in Portland wrestling, basically. Yeah, he
1: goes back to Portland. Showing
0: bro. up in the front row and slapping wrestlers in the face and stuff. Like, like, that was what he was doing.
1: Yeah, but also, I think it was a bad strategy for me because he came in as a baby face, and nobody was going to be a big, bigger baby face than Hogan at this time. So so the best he could ever be was like number two or number three, you know, because at this time uh, th- there was Jake the Snake, there was Jim Duggan, there was already other baby faces that were being used to draw money before Piper. Um and and, and if you see his run, because he ended up leaving in '92. So he came back in '89, had to feud with Brad in '92, and then and then left. Um he didn't do much. You know, he had to feud with, with Rick Rude, um, and then the Bad News Allen feud, which was a complete embarrassment. And pretty much that's it, you know. Um, and then he became a commentator for a while, which we yeah. love, because he was coked out of his mind every time he was on commentary. Brings He's, but, uh,
0: he's the vehicle to bring Flair in as well, in storyline at least.
1: That's right. And he's the one that put Flair over just to give him credibility before he's run with Hogan, uh, which was very rare for Piper. Now, there is actually a pinfall loss at the Garden with Ric Flair versus Piper, where Flair pins them with his foot on the ropes. I don't know if you've seen that one, but that was so rare at the time because Piper wouldn't put nobody over like that. But I feel like had he taken his chances, and we'll never know, right? Had, had, had he taken his chances with, with what eventually would become WCW, they would have treated him like a god because anybody, any WWE main eventer would have treated like that there, and he probably could have had a good heel run there, you know? Um, and World what would sting what,
0: what if he turned heel... In WWF, what if they did Hogan and Piper actually on pay-per-view?
1: I feel like Vince, like he was one of those guys that would do a program and he was done. Like he never really went back to the same program again for a newer generation. And I remember that was when Vince, like once you're like in your late 30s, you know, he's starting to think about putting you out to pasture, right? And at this point, that's where Piper was. Um, so I don't know if he would match them up. I think... Have Piper turn heel in WWF. He would use Piper to put the young baby faces over. And now, whether or so not Piper, Piper probably wouldn't have agreed, happened. but
0: no, but that's yes. why I think it doesn't happen because the only reason you have Piper to go heel and face Hogan is so Hogan would have someone else to beat so that he could stay on top. And Piper would not have agreed to do that. He no, no. He so was, that wouldn't no worked have worked out. He would have met. Yeah, he would have seen that immediately, and he would have bailed. So. Now, it's mm. interesting to think about, though, because they have WrestleMania one, which is pre pay-per-view era. And you, mm-hmm. never, you, you never got that Hogan, Piper pay-per-view until 1996. And they do really big business in
1: 1996. Well, no, they also wrestled at the Wrestling Classic, which was well, yeah. the, like, the, like the first official yes. promoted as a pay-per-view, 1986. But that was a double DQ because Piper ain't putting no, especially Hogan. He put him over. Um. So so anyway so yeah so they did wrestle in a pay per view main event. Smaller, but nobody remembers much
0: smaller, that. Smaller, yeah, much smaller audience. They were not the company that they were in '89, which is why I thought it would have been interesting. But Piper would have never done it. He he he. Was one like, last,
1: one last thing before we move on. I also feel that when Piper comes back in '89, he did have that quote unquote legend thing where you can't turn him heel anymore. Yeah, you know. I think I think every wrestler that that has kind of like a legendary run in their early years, there comes a point where they just can't be heels because they're legends. They're respected as such, and to try to turn them heel just goes against the grain. So I think he was also there as well. Maybe not, but but you know who knows? We'll never know. But I think yeah, if, if they would have tried to, to turn them, there, there might have been some resistance from the fan
0: base. Okay, so Chi-Town Rumble is the February pay-per-view for the NWA, and they do the whole angle with Ricky Steamboat being the surprise wrestler for Ric Flair. And I mentioned the St. Valentine's Day Massacre Clash of Champions, which is, I think, the worst clash I've ever seen. Now, I'm sure there were some bad ones later, but for actually build, like, the whole job of this show is to build up this pay-per-view. It was the most boring thing. There was no good matches (laughs) on this show. Right, Butch Reed is facing their young baby face Sting. To set up Butch Reed for Sting, you would think, oh, they're going to have him just crush somebody. Nope. Stephen Casey, 15 minutes in the most boring (laughs) chin lock match you've ever seen in your life. Yes. Um. Now, J.J. Dillon is gone. So who do they bring in? For the horseman, none other than hero Matsuda, who's just gotta be like, What the hell am I doing here?
1: Negative like, charisma, too.
0: He's in this angle. I mentioned with Rick Flair and Steamboat, where Steamboat like tears Flair's clothes and Matsuda is he he and Bob Cottle are just watching. He had to have been hating <laughs> at that time.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, and and the, and the the angle that they used to explain it, where um Jojo Dylan just sells the horseman. So Hiro Matsuda. How do you do that? Like, how do you sell the four horsemen, you know? Well, well I was um,
0: watching uh Laraka John LaRocca and I did a Nitro 96 thing last year, and Chris Benoit and Nancy Sullivan explained their absence because they were off television. I'm sure Benoit was in Japan or something as they were doing horseman business in Europe somewhere. Like, what, what is horseman right. business in Europe? Like, I, was he selling? Maybe, yeah, no, maybe-, maybe
1: they were recruiting. They were recruiting a possible fifth horseman.
0: Oh, maybe. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, he didn't want, he wanted Jeff Jarrett out of there. He didn't want him. He wanted to. <laughs> him. Okay, so now here's the thing I don't remember about this flair situation, right? Yeah, and, and J- Jeremy Peoples says licensing deals. Yeah, that's what it was. It was licensing deals. Um, so this was what I didn't remember about this angle. Ricky Steamboat comes in the little dragon is with him, and, and his wife Bonnie is, is there as well. And I think Dave writes that in the '83 angle, Bonnie Steamboat is actually one of the women who come out with Ric Flair in that angle. And then now she's obviously with Steamboat, they're married.
1: But I think, I think during this time, um, I'm not going to use the term T whipped because that's not proper. <laughs> But I I do feel like Bonnie had the pants in that family. <laughs> and if you talk to and if you talk to Ricky Steamboat many years later, because I, they ended up hating each other during that yeah. messy didn't divorce. She like she like
0: got the whole rights she, to the name.
1: Right yeah, now. the name and everything. And of course, the little dragon tried to be a wrestler, but he got a back injury and retired fairly young. Um, although he didn't make it to Florida Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, but this angle, Damir almost killed Ricky Steamboat because at this time. Men want to be like Ric Flair, <laughs> yes. so and we'll get to it. But go ahead and, and no, see what uh, you were here, saying no,
0: it's a great transition because what I was going to say is I didn't remember Steamboat being all about the family and you know the the marriage and like, okay, so if he would if he just does this angle in twenty twenty four, his biggest fan is Donald Trump, right? Like, yes. like that's how crazy <laughs> this thing is it's about religion it's about family it's about husband and wife and morals and because rick flair is not portrayed as being married though rick flair is married or at least his wife was married at this time uh you know rick flair as the single playboy is everything that is wrong with men and Ricky, the dragon as the husband and father is everything that is right in the family. And very, very tone deaf. That crowd is ready to turn on the dragon during this interview. And I was—I just did not remember it that way from, you know, years ago. It was crazy.
1: Yeah. 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 It's very tone deaf. And I think it, it's, it's for lack of a better term is very Southern. That's a very Southern booking philosophy. Um and, and I think they they had to really keep in mind that they were booking for a national audience at this point. And and it's the combination of Ricky Steamboat being that goody two shoes, family man, that in itself might work if the heel was wasn't Ric Flair. You know what I'm saying? But but the heel at this point is a representation. Of the blue collar, hardworking man that wants to just come home and pop a beer and deal, um, as Stan Hansen was said with the big fat wife and the nine kids, (laughs) you know, and that's Stan Hansen folks. That wasn't me that said that. (laughs) Um, and and so, um, so your average watcher at that time is like, yo, I want to be like Ric Flair. I'm already like Ricky Steamboat and I hate my life. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me be like Ric Flair, you know? So, so, uh, so that's where you saw. The, 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 there was change there. Like they, were, they started to boo Ricky Steamboat.
0: Yep, yep. And so the line that Flair uses, and I don't remember it exactly. I didn't write it down. But he basically said, you go home to the same woman every night and look at what I have, because there's like five or six women that are, are surrounding him in, in this ring. And he's like, and and I go home, you know, and I I go home with a different one. And so he like turns babyface in in the ring while he's (laughs) cutting this promo on Steamboat, which was fascinating to me. But then, you know, they get to it where Steamboat eventually pulls Flair's uh, slacks off and, you know, then Flair's taking bumps in his underwear. And yes, makes makes
1: a joke out of it. to get over.
0: Then then the crowd is kind of, you know, excited just to see what happens in the ring to, to set up that match. The main event of this show is wacky. Sting, P.S. Hayes, and the junkyard dog were supposed to be in the main event. The
1: junk food dog. Let's get it the right. Junk, the junk food dog. The JFD. And the- you know what? <laughs> Wait. It wasn't even the junk food dog, it was also when he abbreviated <laughs> the JFD, it wasn't the JYD. It was funny, like, why? This is so hard. The young you, Dave was mean.
0: Do you buy Dave's explanation that the junkyard dog used to get a kick out of that nickname?
1: Um, I don't know, maybe. I mean, I don't know, I, I know that the anabolic Warrior didn't. <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
0: So I'm, there's I'm, that. I'm sure Boris Zukov did not like. Yeah, that. or the fabulous <laughs> Mula. Yeah, that was that was yeah. not good. <laughs> the, the human, the human intermission. Greg the Hammer Valentine. That was yes, that
1: was, that yes. One. Well, he everybody in the WWF was on his shit list. Yeah. Did, did, did you see that house show when you were doing your reading where it was like nine straight duds? <laughs> like, how does that happen? Like,
0: <laughs> well, duck, okay. duck. so so Dave goes to um, a few shows before the Chi Town Rumble. WWF runs Chicago right before the Chi Town Rumble and they almost double the audience just for they always
1: do. Oh, I was gonna say I thought you meant they have those like those five hour shows. So, I mean I'm so, sure like, well, the fuck I'm with sure the production crew.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was like that as well, but I just saw the gate and the and the uh the the, the number of people there was almost double the Chi Town Rumble pay per view, which was kind of crazy.
1: One of the things back then, and I was reminded of with The Clash and and also the pay-per-view, the chi Rumble, was how they would always just put a mask on Jack Victory and just create a name for him, right? He was a Russian. Oh, yeah. He but did he at,
0: so much race, like the most valuable guy on these shows. <laughs> but, the, but, the, but then at
1: The Clash, he was the Blackmailer. Yeah. The Black so that was Mueller. his name. It
0: was a, the Blackmailer or the Blackmuller? Maybe. Oh, right. the Blackmuller.
1: You're right, yeah. So, like, they didn't re- really even have a name, like, you know, it was just put on this hood. And go out there and do what you got to do.
0: By the way, I underestimated the difference in the draw. Uh, according to Dave, the uh, the pay per view in Chicago drew five thousand one hundred and eleven paid. This compares to the seventeen thousand nine hundred paid Titan drew at the Rosemont Horizon two nights earlier. Three That's more that... than three times the audience for yes. a house show versus that was Dr. and Hogan. I think so. Yeah, that was a
1: hot program, though.
0: Yeah, that it's, was a hot it's program. Just, it's just insane, right? Like, it's, yeah. I mean, again, very similar to you go to an AEW house show or a, I'm sorry, AEW TV show. They're doing three thousand people, and WWE ran the Oakland Coliseum for a house show. Uh, I don't know, about a week, oh, about five days ago. And they had over 10,000 people for a house show. Just a random Saturday night house show. It's insane. Okay, so uh, Dave, now you'll love this comparison of of Ricky Steamboat. Dave (laughs) says the worry is that Steamboat could be turning into Ronnie Garvin, who in two years prior was supposedly the baby face, but the fans turned on him and made Rick the baby face because Ronnie Garvin did not have the charisma that Rick did, but he also made one other comparison: 1983 Bob Backlund for, for the Dragon there.
1: Yeah, that clean cut baby face, you know that that, that just uh, it doesn't really have a character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I know, but I think what Ricky people showed us is that he has way more charisma than both of those other guys, you know, um, and that's something that started coming out Absolutely. as we progressed. Once know, um... once
0: they got in the ring, there was like. No match, like that was that was his turn. You, you forgot all about the bullshit once they got in there. Yes,
1: yeah. So, right. so I think I think that's something that separated him from back when
0: All right, Uh, what did you think of this show overall as a as a pro wrestling show?
1: Uh, started off kind of rough, man. Started off kind of rough, but it picked up towards the end. There was there was a couple of a couple of good matches. Um, but uh, why do you put Michael Hayes out there with like Jack Victory for like? What is it like 20 minutes? Just yeah. nothing happening. And and, and also it, it makes it more difficult when the house is so small, right? And by that I'm saying there's no fans and it's dark. Um they're also having one of those like uh, like if you're going to a gym, you know how when you go to a house show at a gym, they try to do the, the 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 little rack set with the little lights? That's all they had is a production. Um and of course the ring is so small, but that's you know, that always happens with NWA shows. And then you compare it to like the Dick Eversaw inspired production yes. of WWF, so and different. it's just night and day. So yeah. Different. But but that helps that, that helps like you, you feel more engaged when the production values are up to par. Um so yeah, so this that, that first half was so hard. Sting versus Butch Reed again, boring match. But, yeah. Butch Reed is washed One, up by this
0: point. 20 minutes of Sting and Butch yes. Reed.
1: Now t- things didn't start to pick up to the midnight versus midnights. Yes. Because because of Polly Dangerously and Jimmy Cornet. They they made this match. Uh Jim Cornet's re- wearing a ridiculous, like like it's not a singlet, it's like a like an Olympic, like a whole bodysuit, right? it
0: looked like, it looked like pajamas, <laughs> it's like a, like a grown man pajamas or something.
1: Yes. You know what I never thought about this era that wrestlers would always wear that always bothered me? They would have like a onesie. But then they would have tights like 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 underwear over the onesie, right? But <laughs> so here's what I never understood. The underwear itself can like if there's a word, it would connect to the onesie. Like like like, like let's say let's say it was because Chris Benro would do this a lot, it would drive me crazy. So so Chris Benro would be like Chris B and the in the in the in the underwear portion and then B- Noah in the tight. Like why you just why doesn't the onesie just cover the whole thing, you know? Like, why do you have to do that? Um, maybe it's for safety reasons. You don't want to have an accident and then your whole junk's hanging out. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But that you can't. Like, did you notice that about like the old wrestlers how they would wear, like the onesie and then like tights over
0: the onesie? I I did, didn't... I did, but I I didn't recognize the way that the name fit. Like like. The...
1: <laughs> yes. It's... So you can't wear one without the other. Yes, but it's a it's a combined thing. So my question is, just make one whole thing, like and just put it on. Right. Um. So, my my, that was a good match.
0: Yeah. No. So, my complaint about this show is that matches four through six all had sort of similar finishes, right? Mm With Honda and Steiner. Uh, Rotunda's or Steiner's got the sleeper on him, and, and Steiner's shoulders, are, you know, touched the back, uh, and Luger and Wyndham, they're both being pinned, and one of them raises their arm. Like it's like similar finishes rather than decisive finishes. And I I understand you gotta that you're gonna do rematches on the house show and stuff. You don't yes have these guys clean, so I completely get it. Except for
1: Barry Wyndham, who I believe was was WWF you know bound by this point. We didn't know that yet, but he would go on to have a little run
0: as the Widowmaker. Can you imagine he was still really good as Barry Windham in this time frame?
1: This would be his last the last year where he was really, really like tippy top guy good. Then he just got lazy. Sad.
0: So sad. Yeah. Uh, and then the Road Warriors uh, defeated the varsity club. Uh and and then we get to the main event. But you know, Luger is funny because the selling point for Lex Luger for the fans was that. Oh, like he's become a better wrestler now. He does a superplex now. Like he's adding moves to his repertoire. And then the the flare match from Stark 88. It was like, oh, he's leaning out. He knows that he's got to go for a much longer match. Like yeah. it just wasn't about Luger just being this strong guy. You know, torture rack, babyface. It was always like he had to he had to get better at wrestling so that the hardcore fans would respect him. Like that was a constant thing in his character that I always found interesting.
1: Right, no, you're right. Yeah, and it's something that he never really developed. So <laughs>
0: he he got better, but I I think just the the expectations were so high on that dude, right? Like just for everything. Like if, if for charisma, he's not a ten, he's like a seven uh, as a baby. I want to go that far. You know, but as a heel, when he when he and Sting were doing the thing in '96, no, awesome. that he was a twelve at that. Point. He was awesome during that. Yes, time. but you know, the Lex Express, they wanted him to be a ten. He was like a six and a half, seven. Like he just never got there. You know. Um, yeah, right. but also,
1: but also, he was one of those guys that was like extremely lazy too. Yeah. Not, so,
0: not on his workout and diet though. No. <laughs> So, and on uh, uh, his cheating abilities as he would reveal later on. These guys just give themselves up in these books when they when they write these books, man, about their <laughs> infidelities. Like, Bret Hart is just all about how he just wants to love his wife, but the, the road, the road owns him, and he just has the to... The road will sex, own you. He just has to have sex with all these other women, and he just is regretful <laughs> throughout the entire book. Alright, so the main event is the classic, is a classic match, Flair and Steamboat. I'm watching this match, There's one spot that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But again, this is the the finishes. They're trying to protect everybody in these finishes. It's a clean match. Everything is just flowing. Everything's working great. Somehow, Ricky Steamboat gets to the top rope, and he's about to do his... The finisher that they've been putting over, he beats Flair on WTBS with the high cross off the top rope. Somehow... Tommy Young did not know this move was coming, and just decided to get in the way. Get, <laughs> like, for he didn't even get pulled in; he just got in the way.
1: He just got in the way, yeah. And so, and I'm surprised that that still kept the five stars going because I yes, think this match got. This is my yeah.
0: point. So that they they fumble the finish a little bit, and in, in just because they're kind of have to do the ref bump, like that's the the booking back then and steamboat eventually wins uh but if like it's hard to watch this match today with 1989 eyes cuz in 1989 i have probably only seen one match in my life that was as good as this right which would have been yeah. savage and steamboat from wrestlemania 3 so i don't really know i'm not watching you know japanese tapes at this point i wasn't watching you know, some of these old 60-minute house show matches from back in the day, back in the old days.
1: But but the Southern tag teams in the NWA, they had some classics too around this time. Not as good as 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 this match, but like the Fantastics. Fantastics, the
0: Midnight, yeah, for sure, for sure. The Bushwhackers of all teams, you know, (laughs) those kind of (laughs) things. So, but as you're watching this in, in 2024, does it hit the same as it would have when you saw it the first time?
1: No, no. I mean, you know, we we've been so like desensitized, right? Just so many good match after good match now. But what you do respect is the craftsmanship. Yes, because it, it's it, the fluidity of this match. You know, um, it, it's like one thing after another. Bang, 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 bang. The 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 two counts one, two, like constant, constant, constant. So that that's where the professionalism comes in, and it's just two guys that are so synergized that that they they're they're just they're in their own world at this point right remember that scene in creed 3 where like the audience vanishes and they're fighting boxing yeah. and that's what i imagine these two guys were like they're like like they just tune everything out and it's all about this performance and everything's perfect and what would be great about this series is that they would give you easter eggs in the next two matches mm-hmm. because every match built off the previous one and then in that 55-minute match in New Orleans, uh, the same night as WrestleMania Five, that's when you get the combination of everything. That's like the Avengers movie right there, where you're getting all these little things, and they put it all together for that 55-minute match. So this is just the first act right here, and it's amazing,
0: you know. You're you're a movie what? you're a movie guy. You mentioned that's why I keep on
1: making these connections to movies
0: and their ability <laughs> to zone the audience out and just be the two of them. Yes, there's a baseball movie in which Kevin Costner does that as well. Do you remember that movie?
1: Oh, uh, which one is? Is that still the Dreams?
0: For no. the love of the game.
1: For the love of the game, I've only seen that one. That's a Tim Eastwood movie, I he's, think.
0: He's throwing the perfect game, and he hears the crowd. But once he grabs the ball and he gets on that mound, the crowd is silent. He doesn't hear them at all, like because his because of his focus. That's what I. Yeah, think.
1: yeah. Um, Let, let's hope, let's hope that Yamamoto has a few of those nights. <laughs> oh,
0: <No. laughs> uh, I never seen so much media for the guy just to throw a bullpen in my whole life. My God, yeah, Moto.
1: Um, well, what what I was gonna say? Well, today was the first game, and they the, the spring training they defeated, they defeated the Padres twelve to one or something like that. So hopefully that's a good omen of things to come.
0: You know, I, I. I may have to bring you on to the uh, the Thompson to Clark podcast, so we can just talk Giants Dodgers for a little while. No, uh, that would be great because no, I'm
1: a baseball fan. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't. Well, I shouldn't say I don't hate the Giants. I despise the Giants. Yes. Um, but it's, but it's, it's the LA in me, right? It's like you hate the Dodgers. Is yeah. is the Bay Area boy in you?
0: Absolutely. Just so, Lakers too. I can't send the Lakers either.
1: Yeah. So, so it's like, yeah, I don't mind going out there and just spitting facts about whether it's the rivalry or what's going on in 2024, you know?
0: You, you, I'm telling you, you guys have maybe the best team I've ever seen. Though, by having the best team I've ever seen, it's World Series or bust again for you guys.
1: I don't understand. Yeah, anything less than that is going to be a complete disappointment. Yeah. But this year this year's different. I don't understand how we don't get there by the sheer talent. Like, I just don't understand. That's not gonna make sense to me in my only, head. I mean, you
0: know? only injuries which could could hurt, but still, like at the same time, you guys have depth as well. Like that lineup, there's no hole in that lineup at all. Yeah. You know?
1: So right, and we haven't even started like thinking about the prospects that are gonna come up in the middle of the season, which always happens with yeah. with with all these teams. You know, they they bring people up from AAA. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. I don't know if I'm gonna be going to the ballpark as often because those prices are a little ridiculous, but. Um, we knew that was going to happen.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, they could bring him down a little bit because Otani just allowed you guys to pay him like, the the tax money that Vince didn't want to pay the to <laughs> No,
1: you're right. You're right. But this is the corporation. You think they're going to do that?
0: Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, OK, so a little bit of a detour there, but uh, that the, I am going to bring you on Thompson and Clark one of these days. So the at the end of this, Ricky, Ricky's the champion and they do this. old The old school thing that they did with Hogan when he beat uh, the Iron Sheik, they go to the back in the locker room, Bob Cottle is trying to talk to Ricky. They, uh, I I don't remember who sprays him in the eyes with the champagne, but all of a sudden you <laughs> can't see. Like he like he, he's really he's really frustrated that yes. his eyes are burning, and it stopped him <laughs> from cutting his actual promo at the end of the match. And Bob Cottle has to go. You know, you just don't have the words right now. Like, what's going on? And Ricky, yeah, he goes, tries to
1: say. If it was Gene Walker, then he would have stayed there.
0: <laughs> I just found that whole thing. It's like okay. This is the difference between Ricky in the ring and Ricky outside the ring. Like, he should have been bang, bang. Like, he should have had everything in his mind. He knows he's going to win the match, and he just does not cut that, like, tremendous babyface promo like Hogan did when Hogan won the world title, you know, with Andre in the back and all that stuff. He had everything ready, but he did keep... Or or,
1: or when he lost the world title at that main event, he also had her crying (laughs) and and praying to God, why, why did he cheat me? (laughs)
0: Well, I don't know if you've seen that when Hogan won the world title uh, promo in a long time, but he says uh, that he's really turned on like three times.
1: (laughs) I was surprised he didn't say it's better than coming like Arnold did at that, you know, when he would win the competition. (laughs) Pumping Iron? (laughs) Yeah, Pumping Iron, that's right. Pumping Iron is a really good movie, though. But it shows what an asshole he is, though. He's it, For the people that have never seen Pumping Iron, he's the biggest heel in oh, that movie. He's amazing. The, and the way he fucks with Luper Rigno, like oh he, my God. Know, and, and also, I mean, the, the darkest part is when his dad dies, right? Where he's like, I can't focus on that right now. I, uh, I got a concentrate. And I'm like, yo, your dad died. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's so real to see that. But he's always weird, one of those guys that if you work hard, you know, that, that traditional, like, conservative outlook, right? Yeah. Work hard enough and you get what you want. But I mean look at look at what it's cost them, you know. It like it was just horrible to hear that. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, yeah, pump, watch Pumping Iron, folks, if you want to see a real heel.
0: Yeah, that's it's an amazing, amazing film. All, All right, right. Uh, it. Yeah. so that ends this. Uh that ends this for us here. Uh we'll be back for the March shows. Cause WrestleMania is in April, so we won't actually have a, a show, right? Is it in WrestleMania in, in April of this year? Yes, April 1st. No, no,
1: no, you're talking about this
0: year or the 89? Oh, no, I'm sorry, in 89, yeah. 89 is April 1st, I believe, yeah, April Fool's Day. April 2nd, April 2nd.
1: April 2nd, I was not by one day, yes. So um,
0: so for March, we'll have most, most of the rest of the build to WrestleMania 5, and whatever else is going on in NWA, and you know, I've, I've been trying to, I've been trying to look at other stuff, uh, like AWA. It's like, oh, Zabisco wins a battle royal. Oh,
1: they're yeah, they're going downhill. Four, like by this
0: six point. people don't show up. Okay, now <laughs> this, this is the end. The end, which I like to call only in the observer. Okay, okay. I decided, pulled a couple of nuggets out for from just random comments from Dave, random write ups. So. Dave writes, two hot rumors that are making the rounds in Japan with probably little or no substantiation. Antonio- but to anyway. Antonio Inoki and Sylvester Stallone will be starting up their own U.S. promotion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester- that, that, yes. I don't know why he would report that.
0: I don't know either. Okay. So, uh, Wendy Richter, after an AWA show in San Bernardino, Uh, She caused a minor disturbance on the airline. She brought a python snake on board, and according to the flight status report, after a couple drinks, took the snake out and placed it around her neck, which quite caused a disturbance. U.S. Air informed Richter that in future flights, she would have to put the snake in a suitable container and it would travel with the checked-in baggage rather than as a carry-on. That's all? That's the only punishment she gets? (laughs) (laughs) Because they just tell her don't do it?
1: don't do it again that was back in the day you know Gosh. um but i like how like dave you could tell he's looking for news at this point yeah, because he's he's reporting all this crazy shit that doesn't really even matter you know yes um and wendy richter was was bad, one of those batshit women you could tell just by the more you hear, you hear about her um it's no surprise that Vin, Vinny just cut ties with her um and sends spider lady out there to take the belt from her and, and send her on her way um but, yeah, that's that's Dave. Uh, you know, you get a kick out of seeing young Dave all the time.
0: All right, here's the last one, and this is the best one. This is uh, – actually, this is not Dave reporting. This is the reader, one of his readers writing in. I love that. Let me let me interrupt you real
1: quick with, with one of my favorites. Okay. One of my favorites is Rob Sikowski – from Battle Creek, Michigan, and he writes, "Does anybody have any Rob Van Dante takes for sale?" <laughs> <laughs> that one always pops me when I see it. You know, <laughs>
0: that's, oh, that's amazing, and it and it's not surprising in any way. No, it's not.
1: It's not. What was your headline or reader okay. pages?
0: Very, very similar of a, of, a, of a guy as far as being a meathead to Either. Uh, okay. From P.S. Novak from Hillside, Illinois. <laughs> a very good female friend of mine attended the world class show on January 15th in Melrose Park, Illinois. At this show, it was announced that Carrie Von Eric would sell his personal towel to the highest bidder. All monies would go to a children's. Charity, my friend, bid fifty bucks, and was asked <laughs> to come into the ring for a presentation where she received a kiss from Von Eric and the autographed towel. When she returned to her seat, she noticed the unmistakable emblem of the Sheraton Hotel on the towel.
1: <laughs> that is, that is wrestling. That is, that's that's it. If you want to explain to someone what wrestling was, possibly still is, that's the story right there.
0: Absolutely. All right. That is it. We will be back next month. I wonder but, if Kerry kept the 50 bucks though instead of giving it to the charity?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know he did, right? I mean, I, I
0: would I would guess so. <laughs> or maybe he like decided that he got half or something and and
1: No, that's Kerry. Come on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. This is uh this has been a blast. Uh, I've I, I love looking back at this stuff because just it just feels like a different life like it's, a, it's I mean it is 35 years ago but it feels like
1: but it's not absurd yeah it's absurd Re- the wrestling business it, it, I mean even up till now but certainly back then it was just so absurd and and surreal at times and yeah. and the lack of self awareness right one of the things that makes that skin with Hogan Savage and Liz so memorable is how like th- there was this lack of self awareness that went, went in a full circle and made it awesome. Like it's just, it's just, yeah. Watching wrestling from that era is, is just absurd and surreal to me
0: sometimes. Absolutely. All right. We'll be, we will be back in March to, uh, to discuss the March of, of 1989. So thank you to Draven. I am double G. We will see you when we see you peace out.